Welcome to Conversations in Confidence, where you get a front row seat to learn the insider tips, tricks, and insights to help you win the mental game of music. So, without further ado, please take your seat and welcome your host, Paul Crick, the Performance Confidence Coach. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in or downloading this episode of Conversations in Confidence, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I really do appreciate it. A few years back, I spent some time putting together several episodes of the Influential Leaders of Voice podcast for Rob Lunte at themodernvocalist.com and first met today's guest just as she was out promoting her first book, The Art of Singing. I remember we had such a good time even when Skype was doing its best to throw some technical gremlins into the proceedings. I couldn't wait to be able to do it all over again. Well, here we are, reconnecting again and catching up with everything she's been up to since, and in particular to talk about her recently published follow-up book, The Art of Singing on Stage and in the Studio. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. My guest has been working in the music industry for over 20 years, working with a diverse range of artists and in many different performance settings, including Stevie Wonder, Def Leppard, Patti LaBelle and Christina Aguilera. The list of collaborations really is a who's who, and it just goes on and on. Spending her time between New York City and Washington DC, she's a highly respected and much sought after vocal coach with clients all over the world. Added to this, she's a talented author and Huffington Post columnist and qualified psychotherapist, writing regularly for Psychology Today. However, all of that really doesn't say enough or capture the spirit of this lady. She's a vibrant ball of energy and positivity. Iggy Pop would describe her as having a lust for life, and I'm sure you'll appreciate the infectious enthusiasm and joy she brings not just to her area of expertise, but also to this episode. So please do stop whatever you're doing and take the next 20 minutes or so and enjoy this conversation in confidence with my guest, Jennifer Hamady. So Jen, it's an absolute thrill and pleasure for me to welcome you again to another podcast, only this time it's Conversations in Confidence, so welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, and I, as I told you a moment ago, I have a huge smile on my face and so happy to catch up and see what we've both been up to these past past few years. I know, I know. It, it's, it's, uh, it's great to catch up, and uh, life truly is a journey, uh, that's for sure. So talking of journeys, let's, let's start off. Um, I want to know what it was that first drew you to music and how did you get uh, to where you are now in your musical journey? Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> you started off with a, a, nice, a nice simple question. So um, in, <laughs> <laughs> we need about an hour for that. But in, in a nutshell, um, I was one of those kids that always sang, always sang and was always musical. Um, so I think it was just something that for whatever reason I discovered, I don't come from a particularly musical family. No one sings or plays an instrument, but I think I just found it and fell in love with it and developed a really natural relationship with it. And it was, um, I experienced singing as sort of a best friend that from a very young age walked beside me through life. Um, oh, I love the way you describe that because I feel exactly the same. That's, that's oh. marvelous. It's really how it feels. You know, I, um, I, I sang all the time. I mean, it wasn't something that I did 
you know, only to self-soothe, but it was just, I always was singing. And to this day, I remember recently I was in a Starbucks and someone said behind me, oh, I love that song. And I, I turned around and I said, there's no, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, you were just singing the song I love. I had no idea. So it's a constant thing. And especially now that I have a toddler, it's, it's just, it's nonstop. And it always brings me such joy and um, a feeling of connection to life and love and to my body as I feel myself breathe. And so it's always, it's hard to put words to, but it's always just been a very lovely, organic, uh, beautiful connection, I guess. Um, and then the second part of your question, Paul, say that again for me. I'm sorry. I got no, 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 that's okay. So <laughs> I, I, really I, what I'm trying to do is, is sort of give, give listeners a, a sort of flavor of, of the kind of things that you've, you've done in your musical journey, which is many varied and uh, fairly impressive. So I know you've released an album, you've, you've, you're, you're a, a sought-after vocal coach, you're an author. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit. How all that, how how all that of that's come together? Has it been kind of random, or has it been planned? You know, what what have you been up to, and how did you get here? Okay, uh, you mean beyond my my professional singing in Starbucks lines career? <laughs> 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 well, so okay, so to to the resume, I guess. So um, yeah, when I was in high school and then college, I, I again was always singing and did all the shows and the plays and things. Um, started working with producers and frankly through just tenacity and hard work and constant singing and putting myself out there uh, just in terms of meeting people I uh, started to sing backup on projects and do various theater shows um, and so had a whole from my teens a whole I guess what you'd call a professional performing career that uh, and some of the larger points were that I uh, sang backup uh, for and toured and recorded with a variety of um, artists, Stevie Wonder, Patti LaBelle, Christina Aguilera, uh, Def Leppard was a really fun one. Um, oh, it was so great. And, uh, toured, uh, for a couple years as a lead singer with one of Cirque du Soleil's shows, uh, sang backup on American Idol. And, uh, I also released, uh, four projects of my own, which were mainly, um, kind of glorified demos. I did a lot of songwriting and, and was very blessed to find producers that were, um, content to help me document them, uh, so release those on my own, put them out into the world, uh, and then and then as you mentioned, my coaching. When I was touring, uh, as you and I have talked about at length, I just I loved sharing with people the joy and the ease I felt when singing, and um, the more and more well known I got, the more I realized uh, how people were struggling constantly with it, with singing technically. Ease, with ease and also emotionally with ease. So initially, just completely organically, I started uh, responding to emails or um, doing master classes saying, you know, essentially, in a nutshell, we're all working way too hard. We're, we're trying to prove ourselves personally. We're trying to push our voices physically. The first thing you have to do is stop all that and really get in touch with yourself and your voice. And um, to make a very long story short, that evolved into a sort of methodology or um, philosophy that I then began writing books about and sharing in a personal practice, vocal coaching practice. I went uh, back to grad school and did my graduate work in psychology just to, to really kind of round out what I was doing on a very intuitive basis. And now I focus um, full-time on helping other singers and performers and, as well as um, professionals and public speakers on find for for lack of a better expression, finding their voices, getting them in touch with 
themselves, their confidence, their joy, their ease, and as a result, effortlessness in speaking, singing, and communicating. That's fantastic. And really, I wanted to get sort of focus this little conversation on on the new book. So um, I was curious to know, um, having written such a comprehensive first book, The Art of Singing, which is absolutely excellent, and I highly recommend it for anyone that's that's uh, looking looking to understand more about finding their own voice. Um, why the second book? What was it, what, what what's the difference here? Tell me tell me a little bit about that. Well, the, thank you, first of all, for what you said. That means so much to me. I, um, I love the first book, which, um, as you mentioned, or, uh, is about the uh, psychology of singing, I guess you'd say. And it's, it's all about, uh, the subtitle is Discovering and Developing Your True Voice. And my, my hope was to help, as I said, um, people learn how to emotionally and personally get in touch with their voices. And, and also, um, I offered a little bit of uh, technical help, too, to kind of get rid of some tensions and strengthen what needs to be strengthened and release what, what needs to be released. The second Art of Singing book, um, The Art of Singing on Stage and in the Studio, came about because I realized that while the first book was helping people uh, get in touch with their voices, strengthen their voices, have great voices, it didn't help when they got on stage and in the studio. It didn't help when it came to dealing with in-ear monitors and headphones in the studio. And frankly, the relationships with uh, producers and engineers and stage managers, um, all of these issues, no matter how fantastic their voices, no matter how much they'd trained or how much experience they'd had, oftentimes came up as a huge brick wall. And I would not only um, hinder their performances, but but oftentimes their career progress. So I, you know, and, and my own experiences, I found this to be true. I thought, well, if I sing well and I, I'm in touch with my voice and I, I know the material, I should have no problem slapping on a, a pair of headphones or using wedge monitors on stage. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't my experience. So I, I wrote a book doing my very best to offer... Um, everything you need to know about the psychology relationships and technology um, when you're uh, recording and performing. And one final thought about that with, with respect to the technology, which of course in any medium changes, you know, instant to instant. I didn't uh, spend so much time talking about the specific types of technology. Of course, I covered the broad things of microphones and speakers and monitors and such, but more about how best to interact with technology how physiologically our minds um, relate to technology. For example, and stop me if I'm going on a, a way off track or on a tangent. No, no, no. this is right. <laughs> you know, when we listen to sound in our ears, digital reproductions of sound, we're hearing sound, we're hearing the music, we're hearing the accompaniment, we're hearing our voices, but they're actually digital representations, a series of zeros and ones uh, of those sounds. And for many people... Um, that has a huge impact on how it occurs to us. So helping singers, helping them educate themselves about the technology, how it works, what it is, why it is, but also um, physiologically, neurologically, and personally, how to best interact with it. Um, that's what I hope to be offering in this book. Well, having had the opportunity to read it, it, it is absolutely comprehensive and um, all kinds of insights that when I, when I read them, I thought, wow, I've never really thought of it 
that way. Um, so um, I, I'll obviously uh, let people know where they can find the book afterwards. But I, I just wanted to pick out a couple of points um, that you focused on that I that I absolutely love that you focused on it. And then uh, one of the things um, you focus on is uh, about the nature of responsibility, uh, and not only just in terms of impacting a singer's performance, but also improving the effectiveness of some of the interpersonal relationships that naturally happens as part of being um, in that environment. So what, what was it that caused you to choose that? And then, and then tell me a little bit about, um, sort of give a, give a pricey, if you like, of mm -hmm. um, the, the main points that you, you drew out from that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, um, it's interesting you point, point to that part because I love that section of the book. I go on what might seem like a complete tangent about acceptance and responsibility and, and you know, forgiveness. But I think that these um, seemingly very personal, relational skills, these sort of what you'd call self-improvement type skills, are so relevant and so critical when it comes to our singing, even our personal experience of singing, um, when it comes to responsibility specifically, in a nutshell, what I tried to express is that the moment we give our power away in any area of our lives, and certainly in our performing lives, by saying, um, I don't have a record deal because, you know, I don't, I don't know people or this producer, um, you know, sabotaged my chances or this manager tried to sleep with me and wouldn't help me if I didn't, if I didn't do it. However that goes, mm -hmm. uh, my voice teacher didn't blah, 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 you know, pick, pick your, pick your poison. Even if it's true, even if it's unfair, in my view in life, the minute you choose to assign blame to anyone or anything, it takes your, your power away. And by power, I mean your ability to reclaim your energy and your ability to go forward powerfully into getting what you want. So why I think that's particularly relevant when it comes to um, singing on stage and in the studio is that dynamic is huge when it comes to the relationships that are on stage and in the studio with producers, engineers, sound engineers, technicians, stage managers, you know, whomever. And so I talk quite a bit about how important it is to accept whatever happens to you, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong. You know, of course, take a moment and, and, and process what has happened. But that if you really want to move forward in life and certainly in your career as a performer, you have to own, take ownership of, not, not accept blame for, but take ownership of everything and anything that happens to you so that you can um, proceed in your career and life and relationships most powerfully. I think, I think that's fabulous. And I think it's something that's not taught and so overlooked. And for some reason, the performing arts industry in particular, it, it, it becomes... It's almost like you're under a magnifying glass where actually those things has become even more important perhaps than they are <laughs> in a, other aspects of our lives somehow. Uh, so I think it's fantastic. Now, one of, one of the things you talk about, and you talked about it in the first book, but you revisit it um, in, in a lot more depth, um, is music performance anxiety, which is you know a, a lot of what uh, we're talking about here uh, in Conversations in Confidence. So... Um, 
Tell me what you tend to see in your peers and students and people you come across as sort of the main causes that you, you, you come across. And then, then maybe talk about some of the things that you, would, you advise uh, and, and give advice uh, on in terms of helping them manage and control that. Yeah. Uh, well, and also, I'd love to hear your thoughts, too, because I know before we, we hit the record button, you were sharing some of the wonderful things and work you've been doing, too. But the answer, actually, to your question, I think, ties in with your last one about responsibility. And again, you know, I, you and I love talking about this, so stop me if I'm kind of going on a tangent. But I think um, to double back to the end of your last question, to answer this one, I think that our industry in an effort to find out what's great, uh, what's good, what's talented, we spend a lot, a lot of time talking about what's not great, what's not good, what's not talent. Um, it's sort of, a, an, in, a, in my view, a, a really ineffective way to bolster ourselves and encourage ourselves. We spend a lot of time talking about what we don't want to be, what we don't want to look like, what's not good music, what's not talent. And I think, frankly, that this is a huge part of what forms the foundation of a lot of performance anxiety, or as you call it, music performance anxiety, with not only singers, but dancers, other performers that I've worked with, public speakers. Because rather than the focus of our performing being on sharing ourselves and offering ourselves and our art and enjoying the process of expressing ourselves, often it is, if not focused and fixated on, at least influenced by a concern of, Am I good enough? Are people going to think I'm good enough? Am I going to get a good enough review? Am I going to hit a funny note? And I mean, insert a million thoughts here that we're both very familiar with. And so I think that, that those insecurities, well, of course, we all have them. Will I be liked? Will I be able to do a good job? Rather than it being an exciting series of questions and concerns, it becomes a really ego-laden, heavy, fear-based series of concerns that, as I said, are aided and abetted by the industry um, that we're in and all of our very complicit participation when we, when we don't demand of ourselves to love our creativity, love others' creativity non-judgmentally. Um, so that, I think, is a huge, one of the biggest um, factors that I see that judgment. And uh, a second one that's uh, related to that, surely, is that many of us, whether it's conscious or not, become performers, get into performing, uh, not only as a desire, not only out of a desire for self-expression, but as a desire to prove ourselves or validate ourselves. Uh, I know when I was young and I started getting a lot of attention for singing, you know, my young mind wrapped up, my voice is special with, hey, I'm special. And it took a lot of time to unravel that. And the reason it's so important to unravel is when your self-worth or your sense of self is on the line every time you open your mouth, it can't be joyful. It can't be, it can't always be joyful because if someone doesn't like you, it's not, oh, they didn't like my voice. It's, oh goodness, they don't like me. Mm. So I think the culture we live in, um, you know, with the American idols and, and our reverence for pop stars and which of course the love of music is great, but the idea that, oh, how wonderful, how special, how unique these people are and, and how, um, how important and powerful therefore having a good voice is actually takes away our ability to sing powerfully and to have um, 
a joyful uh, career that's not fraught with uh, ego nonsense. I think that's that's such a great answer, and and um, that that's true. I I don't know if you've had opportunity to listen to uh, Krista Tippett um, interviewing Yo-Yo Ma about his approach, um, which is very much. And and it, I've interviewed uh, Richard Durant, uh, one of one of the top classical guitarists over in Europe, and he has a similar perspective, which is. I'm inviting you to the best party in the world, to a, to a dinner party, and I'm laying all of this on for you because I, I want you to have a good time. So, you know, I prepare the room, I prepare the material, I prepare the energy in the room. And, and I, you know, it's, it's uh, and Yo-Yo Ma's really funny because he says, uh, yeah, well, if someone drops the chicken on the floor, then we just say, oh, well, hell, we've dropped the chicken on the floor, let's pick it up, put it back and you know, carry on as if nothing happened, which, which I absolutely love. So I, I, I think those are, those are, those are great answers. Um, so oh, can I, can I just add something to that? Yeah, sure. And you, you touched on it with what the, what these two men said. It's, it's the, the, the challenge then for us as people working with performers is to then help people how do you navigate helping people to develop confidence and trust in their instruments and themselves without arrogance and perfectionism? And I think the spirit that you're talking about, um, with the, that Yo-Yo Ma, for example, touched upon, which is the idea of it's not about whether you're perfect or you make mistakes. It's about whether you love what you're doing, you love the process of self-education, you love the process of, mu- of learning and, and reveling in music, and I think most importantly, sharing uh, that music with the world. That, if you focus on that passion, those passions, rather than on being perfect, being great, and as I alluded to before, being better than others, then I think that uh, performance anxiety and fear dissipates because it's not your primary concern is to validate yourself. It's to have fun. And as you said, if the chicken falls on the floor, who cares? Yeah, and I think it's. I, I think what's interesting is in neuroscience, um, they're discovering that. Um, I, I mean, uh, if you look at the inner game of music, it's uh, Tim Galway talks about uh, getting yourself out of the way of yourself, and I, I always wondered what that really meant. And actually, what it means in neuroscientific terms is uh, a process that's got a thousand dollar phrase against it, which is transient hyperfrontality, which means that. That when you're sharing from that place of passion, actually, and, and you're you're in that moment because uh, nothing else matters, and it, you're experiencing that joy, and you're fully connected to your body. Actually, parts of your brain switch off. Your your pre, parts of your prefrontal cortex, the lights dim, uh, and that's that's actually the, the way in which you get yourself out of the way of yourself is getting to that place. And some of that's through breathing, some of that's through, you know, when, when we're fearful, we actually retreat into our, um, I'm reluctant to say mind because everybody thinks of the thing that's sat inside our skull, but typically we, we retreat out of our body and we don't experience that, which is why we breathe higher in the chest and uh, and we're, we're thinking so much and we're overthinking and catastrophizing um, in these situations. Whereas if we can find a way to to get back into the body and connect, uh, just simple things like experiencing the the, the, the 
almost like a mindfulness exercise. You know, here's, here's my foot and, oh, look, my foot's on the floor and I can feel the floor underneath it and I can feel my sock and, you know, I feel the, the material behind my knee and simple things like this to really connect you and get you out of your brain that starts to sort of create a positive cycle going the other way. I'm right. sure, we could, sure we could talk about that for hours, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm going to let. I'm going to follow your lead. Otherwise, I'll, I'll interrupt you every five seconds with no, no, no. another tangent. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I, that, that's what it's all about. Lots of tangents because uh, I'm sure I'm, uh, I'm sure you've got lots to share uh, from your experience. So, um, the where do I want to go next? Uh, yeah. So. You've been in some amazing performing situations, which you, you outlined at the, the start of the conversation. And I wondered, um, through all of that, if there was a specific aha moment, uh, uh, either in terms of performance or um, certain themes that come through through the book, that, was, that sort of really resonated with you, that you went, oh, now I get it, and, mm. and, and sort of flipped you into a different world. Well, you know, it's funny, as you're, as you're saying the question, and I'm kind of going back as you're talking, thinking, is there a moment, the, the, truly the moment that stands out for me as you were saying that um, was after having my son. I took a, a good year off. Mm-hmm. Not, not Now, my husband would laugh at that, you know, <laughs> he'll say, <laughs> by off, do you mean writing a book and seeing clients? And, you know, but, but I, would, I took, I really did take a break. And I think to be honest, it was only in stopping or slowing down, I guess is more accurate, and getting some perspective, um, kind of getting, you know, when you're in a moving car, the moving car of my performance career or my and my books and things, it's only when that stopped that I got to sort of get out of that proverbial car and look around and take a deep breath and go, huh, that's how far I've come and what did I learn along the way? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, I started writing this book. It took me a number of years to write because I, I started it before I had Lucas um, and then took a little break and then wrote it very, <laughs> the rest of it very slowly with a son, as, as, as happens when you have a, a toddler. Um, so I think that a lot of the aha moments that, that I talk about quite a bit in the book and the realizations, not just professional, but when it comes to interacting with technology and certainly... Um, performance anxiety and the ones the relational ideas such as responsibility as we talked about really came from taking uh, stopping and taking stock of all that I'd been through all of the mistakes that I'd made all of the things I didn't handle effectively and how I could have handled them much more effectively and on the other side many of the things that I did very well um, that I that I didn't really know at the time or didn't capitalize on so um I guess if there's a lesson in there at all, not that you asked for one, but I, I, I do think, and it's funny, back to my husband, John, uh, he had been for years before we had Lucas saying, even though I was very happy in my career, you know, do you ever think of taking a month and running a cabin and doing nothing? And I would, I would look at him like, are you insane? I have so much to share and so much to do. And he goes, well, the little perspective might help. And in the hindsight, as, as often he is, he was very right. Um, and so I think however we can all take a pause um, uh, and get some perspective and, and just take stock of what we've learned. Uh, I think it's important. Yeah, I'd agree with it. And it sounds, sounds like your husband's been watching too many Brownie Brown TED Talks. Um, <laughs> I don't even think he knows who she is, but, I'm, but I think it's just up, he's very up that alley. I <laughs> <laughs> 
that universal wisdom she's tapped into. Absolutely. He's, he's all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder if you were to go back in time to your younger you, knowing what you now know, what advice would you now give that person about music performance and, and, and a career in music? Oh, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a great question with a lot of answers. So, um, I think the broad, the, the, the main things I would do would be to encourage myself and possibly demand of myself to extricate my sense of self-worth from my singing and my self-expression. I don't know how I would explain that to my 17 year old self, but I would, I would have taken a pause. I would have taken a break. I would have stopped and said, we have to, we have to get you back in touch with the joy of singing you had when you were a very young child, get you to resolve whatever insecurities and personal stuff you've got going on. And so that those things are separate issues so that you can really go forward vocally and professionally unencumbered by the need to prove yourself. Because as long as your pride and ego are attached to your career, you're going to sell, you're going to sabotage yourself in some way. It's inevitable because you're, you're just as concerned about being successful as you are about protecting yourself. And so I think I would have had a, a different journey. I mean, I have had a wonderful journey, don't get me wrong, but I think there were many opportunities that I, I either didn't um, capitalize on or didn't enjoy because I was so um, concerned about proving myself and being great. Um, the other thing I would have said, and I, I talk about this a bit in the book, is um, I would have lightened up quite a bit and not taken myself so seriously. I would have enjoyed, I would have counseled my younger self to enjoy the moments more, to not be so worried about getting to the one right place or to do it the one right way. Um, there, there are so many paths to the same goal of having a professional performance career. And as long as you're singing and as long as you're learning and as long as you're growing and as long as you're meeting new people and being kind um, there are very few opportunities that are quote unquote wrong. Um, I've, I, I did talk about this in the book. I've had a lot of students and clients come to me and say, well, I, I auditioned for American Idol and I got on, but I'm not sure it'd be, it's the right thing for my career. And I, I would always look at them and say, well, listen, you have to make your own choice, but explain to me how being on national television in front of the entire world, millions of people hearing you sing, explain to me how that's a bad thing. So I think, um, lighten up. I would have told myself, lighten up. Don't take yourself so seriously. Be kind to yourself. Enjoy the journey. Um, and relax, you know, relax and enjoy it and recognize how blessed you are when you get overwhelmed by the stuff of the business and the issues with your voice and whatever else. Just get some perspective. Take a step back. Realize how blessed you are and that, that you're able to make a living using your voice and singing and sharing yourself and what you've learned and um, be proud, be proud of what you've done and, and stay humble. Jen, as always, uh, infinite wisdom. Uh, <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that. Um, so as we come to a close, uh, I, I want to, first of all, thank you for making time out of what I know is an insane schedule, particularly uh, as you have toddlers in tow. Uh, and I know what time you were up this morning, so I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> <laughs> making the effort to take time to chat to me. Thank you so much. I know that I know my listeners will love uh, some of uh, uh, well, some all of uh, the answers you've given. Um, 
For people that want to connect with you, though, what's the best place to do that? Because I'd like them to find out more about you and obviously the book, The Art of Singing on Stage and in the studio. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. And I and I do have a few more minutes, so I never want these conversations to <laughs> No, me neither. <laughs> but, um, well, my, my, uh, my website is findingyourvoice.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can also go to theartofsinging.com, and there are links to, to both books and uh, my articles I write about um, performance anxiety and creative expression issues for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today. Um, and yeah, please don't hesitate to reach out, send me an email, let me know if you have any questions um, regarding the articles. Many of them come from questions that uh, people ask about issues they're struggling with or things they'd like to learn more about. Um, so I'm, I'm more than happy to, to try to uh, answer any questions you all may have or, or share any insights that I, that I may or may not have on, on anything related to singing or expression or uh, life, <laughs> living, being a mom, anything, please just reach out. Don't hesitate. I will put those links into the show notes uh, so that everybody can get in touch. Jennifer, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to talk to you as always. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And yeah, next time we'll have to learn more about what you're up to, Paul, because you're doing such great work. I'm so excited to hear more. That's very kind of you. Yes, we'll make some time to do another one. Perfect. Perfect. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Jen. Bye. See, I told you so. Jennifer's fantastic. And my only regret is that we didn't have longer to explore many of the nuances of each of the topics that we touched on. The good news is that she's been kind enough to make space in her busy schedule, the Emotional Health and Wellbeing Summit that myself and co-host Sarah Campbell at the Academy of Contemporary Music are putting together here in the UK and online for January 2017. Jennifer has agreed to be one of our lead keynotes for the event. And I can't wait for you to have another opportunity to hear her share the things that she's deeply passionate about. For now, if you enjoyed this episode, then I'd appreciate you taking a moment just to leave me some feedback on iTunes. Looking ahead, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover or someone you'd like me to invite to be a part of the podcast, then please do just drop me an email at paul at paul-crick.com. Until we meet again, do be good to yourself. Take care. Bye for now. Well, that wraps up another episode of Conversations in Confidence. Tune in next Monday for more tips, tricks and insights with Paul Crick, the performance confidence coach.